Welcome to Journey with Purpose. I'm your host, Randy Plummel. This is episode nine, where we speak with cargo bike expert Sam Starr about the role of cargo bikes in the commercial sector and how might we use existing dormant infrastructure of the parking lot to decarbonize freight logistics. Now, this episode pairs very nicely with the Freight Matters episode with Sandra Rothbard, featured in episode six. So feel free to either listen to that episode before or after this discussion on bike freight. You can see that in the show notes. Now, unquestionably, home delivery is an amazing thing. You know, I've got kids for the first couple of months with both kids. Man, we we use home delivery for everything. It's just such a time saver. It is something that is unquestionably a good thing to have. But it has some external consequences that I think we are just coming to terms with. Now, cargo bikes might not be the primary way we move freight around our cities, but I think unquestionably it's much better than all these giant box trucks rolling around our cities, emitting diesel fumes, double parking, and taking up space. I think we've seen in other places, especially in Europe, a different model. But it's not just about land use. It's not just about taking really amazing street designs from NACTO. It's about looking at the whole system. And it's about making standards that allow industry to both build safe cargo bikes, hopefully with electronic assist, and for us to be able to train the drivers to use them safely, and to be able to reapportion space in our limited streetscape so that we can still have the same amount of goods and people flow through them, but really mode shift. And I think what's interesting about our conversation today is we're trying to understand what is sort of the breakpoint between dense enough to where cargo bikes might make a lot of sense But then as you go up the density ladder to say skyscrapers and really dense living, maybe cargo bikes don't make as much sense. And so this is something that Sandra really hammered on about having a good set of in-house freight logistics experts in each municipality or frankly in the state because the state capacity here is very limited. Okay, Sam, thanks for spending time with us and talking about cargo freight. Where are you speaking to us from? Thanks, Randy, for having me. I'm happy to be here talking to you from Vancouver, BC. I am the founder of the North American Cargo Bike Conference, which is put on by a nonprofit organization called Our Greenway, based out of Toronto, Ontario. And my background has been in logistics, specifically in sustainable logistics and decarbonizing our existing freight networks in both cities and beyond. I've spent most of my career in the logistics and supply chain space. And in the last five or six or so, I've been focused more on decarbonizing our logistics uh, networks through the use of cargo bikes and cycle logistics. And I bring up the word cargo bike. It can be just like a little mini truck, a minivan that's doing goods delivery. That's what it can be. And yes, to the average family, that's not what it is. The average family, it's a bike with a box in front or a box in, or, or, or a long tail in the back. And those are awesome too. And we need more of those, more families adopting those. 
but from a business perspective and from a from an actual commercial perspective, the cities need to recognize this is a commercial vehicle. This should be the future of commerce. My colleague, who's executive director of our Greenway, uh, his name is Darnell Harris, and I have been inspired over the years by the work of the International Cargo Bike Festival, which is an organization based out of the Netherlands, uh, run by Tom Parr and Jos uh, Schlussmann, and they have basically brought together the industry, the, the cargo bike industry from both the business and the family side. And and in the last 10 years have run various festivals, every annual festivals every year, conferences every year to really bring the movement forward. They've also been very active in driving new standards and new policy and regulation and, and working with cities, bringing people together to talk about the various issues and the various ways we can accelerate cargo bikes and cycle logistics adoption. So being very inspired by them, we decided that we want to partner with them to launch the North American Cargo Bike, what we're calling a conference at the moment. Hopefully in years, we'll, we'll probably shift to call it more of a festival. What we did this year is we teamed up with Fully Charged, which is a UK-based electric enthusiast YouTube channel that turned into a conference production group as well. We had a one-day conference. We had various speakers from all around North America, from as far away as Washington, D.C. and Mexico City. And we covered three main major topics in the roundtable slash panel sessions where we looked at what are municipalities and governments doing to accelerate cargo bikes and cycle logistics. Second, how are operators who run cargo bikes today, what are some of their challenges and, and opportunities and what is the potential that they believe is in the industry? And then the third one was actually from a bunch of the manufacturers. We had five manufacturers there and it was really great to get their perspectives on what is the future of the industry? Where is it going? The second half of the conference was a workshop, and we had about 35 to 50 people participate. And really, the focus was answering the question, what can the future and what should the future of cargo bikes and cycle logistics look like in North America? And how do we get there? Well, that makes a lot of sense that there is a real tension now between personal cargo bikes on a one-off and then at a commercial scaled level, we would need a different set of standards. So I'd love for you to imagine and help us understand that if we close our eyes, can you paint a picture of what a future city might look like where cargo bikes, both personal and commercial, are more prevalent? So let's go, I don't know, in the next five or 10 years, we start getting cities where the automobile is less present in our high density urban areas uh, and there's more active transportation there's more protected bike lanes there's more green space there, there's more public transit access there's more opportunities to still to get around i know i'm sure i probably pissed off a few people by saying that by describing the city that way describing a future city that way but that is very much where europe is going right now and many european cities are very much that way turning pedestrian mainly pedestrianized areas and creating low emission zones and really driving driving the car out of the city. That, that's where we want to be, is, and that's where we're going to see the fastest growth, are cities here in North America, like New York, Seattle, Montreal, and Portland, who are very much trying to be ahead of the game and looking at European cities and all the changes that they're making to meet our climate crisis. As a result, that's going to require much more of a shift to these commercial cargo bikes. In order to make that really work, you, what, what's needed are a series of what are called mini hubs or, 
or smaller hubs where companies can bring goods to then get shifted onto cargo bikes and use those cross-docking areas, as a, that, that cross-docking sort of warehouse, as a mobility hub. These are typically done in transit hubs, at least the, that's where the European trend is going. Make, make these mobility hubs, transit hubs, places where people are already congregating, already moving. That's where the goods can come in. The trucks can shift to cargo bike, can move the goods from the trucks to the cargo bikes, and they can be delivered in that, in that central core. And it's a lot quieter. It's a lot cleaner. There's 90% fewer emissions. The cities are active and fun and yet peaceful at the same time. And if you've ever been to some of the smaller towns and even larger cities in places like the Netherlands, as well as going to places like Copenhagen, you, you'll understand that these cities are really thriving and businesses are doing pretty well, but it's very quiet, unlike a lot of our North American cities, which are very loud and noisy and there's lots of cars everywhere. There's still lots of economic activity, but it doesn't require the car and you can get around and, and access all of that, whether it be a bike or walking or transit or otherwise. Okay, so this future seems eminently reasonable. A little bit of mode shift to cargo bikes, both personally and commercially, but also rethinking how we use our streetscape. Now, the hard question is, what will it take to get us to this possible future vision? The first thing is, and the most key thing here, are zero emission zones or low emission zones, however you slice them, just any way to reduce the amount of emissions in a central business district. That is really one of the key enablers for cycle logistics, especially when it's combined with a designated hub or hubs, which I'd say is the second thing. And those hubs are best run when they're public-private partnerships, and they're not fully private or they're not fully public. Now, that's not to say that DHL, FedEx, Purolator, all of them shouldn't have their own hubs to, to shift that, that they perfectly can, and they definitely should if it's going to help them shift to cargo bikes. But at the same time, it does accelerate things when the city gets behind it and puts some investment into helping secure this the real estate, which, as we all know, has become incredibly expensive these days in order to make this really, really work in the cities. And then I'd say the third piece is a change in the way that we view electric cargo bikes today. So current policy in the U.S., these e-bikes are regulated by what's known as the Consumer Product Safety Commission, the CPSC, while in Canada, they are defined, <laughs> merely just defined in the Motor Vehicle Acts across the provinces, and are therefore regulated now by the provinces. It's almost two separate, I'll answer this is 3A and 3B. So we'll start with the U.S. What we need to see from the CPSC is some and or possibly the DOT or, F or Federal Highway or even NHTSA, any of the big federal organizations, is some recognition that cargo bikes are not just a toy and bikes are not just a toy. And I would hope that if any of the representatives from these organizations are looking at New York and hearing about all the cargo bike uh, deployment, as well as looking at Montreal and Vancouver here and seeing how many companies are really pushing to get into the space and want to do more of it, they'd realize that there is massive opportunity to, to regulate this at the federal level and, and to actually treat the commercial cargo bike side differently from the regular e-bikes and, and regular bikes in general. Like, it's fine if, if we all want to agree that, that bikes in general are still recreational, but there's a commercial segment, that's a great step. So the same thing here in Canada, where I'd like to see the federal government step back up 
Transport Canada step back up and start providing definitions around these vehicles and looking at them as commercial vehicles and less as just something that needs to be regulated by the province. Because the moment you have something regulated by a province, now we are 13 different province plus territories that are just going to do things differently and they have no expertise in any of this. Unlike Transport Canada that regulates like National Highway Transportation Safety Board in, in the States. I think there's opportunity there. And specifically, what I and my colleagues and I would argue a bunch of folks who are at this conference and who represent the industry would like to see is to see specifically a definition between what is a regular family use cargo bike that might as well just be a regular e-bike. So that'd be one category. And then another category that's maybe more on the mid-size scale that allows for heavier duty goods, requires maybe a bit of training to, to use them, but is still carrying, I will call it a mid-weight and then a higher, heavier duty category that's looking at 800 pounds, 700, 800 pounds of payload and more, and that these get regulated at these different levels. And the reason I bring that up is because that is very much a lot of the direction where the European Commission is going today through a working group that specializes in cargo bikes. They are really looking at those sort of three categories. Now, now the middle category, as I said, was a bit vague. And for them, it's also still a bit vague from what I've heard at the moment. But ultimately, having a heavy duty and a light duty category, and especially a heavy duty category that allows for four-wheel cargo bikes, allows for six wheels, allows for multiple trailers. And it does so with the appropriate training and safety and hill hold assist and all those standards, just like cars are built with standards, you know, there's nothing wrong with having these, with, with building these vehicles standards, because they really are like mini utility trucks and not necessarily mini bikes. And that, that's very much what these, what the heavy duty commercial space has become. They're light LEVs and they really are like low, low speed vehicles or LEVs. We need to see some adoption and recognition of what's going on in Europe as being a, the proper direction here or somewhat of the direction here that we can adopt. And I get it. Our roads, are, our roads and our cities are built differently, but that doesn't mean we can't at least take some of what they're doing in Europe and adopt it to our needs and maybe add a few other safety features given the challenges that we have here in North America that should be built into standards. Because one of the biggest challenges right now is that everything is regulated by definition. Unlike the automotive industry, where there is a standard for the headlights, there's a standard for the seats, there's a standard for the safety belts. And if you don't meet any of those standards, your car shouldn't be on the road. We need to be looking at doing the same thing here and, and making it so if you're going to build a commercial cargo bike that's going to operate in the bike lanes, it's going to operate in these cities, that it's a bike that's built to standards, internationally recognized standards. I'm not just saying that U.S. standards, like internationally recognized standards and maybe automotive standards to some extent, too. So I think we need to start thinking about it that from that perspective. The nice part is we do have some window into the future by looking at what is working in places like Europe right now. I think one of the biggest challenges I keep mentioning the four-wheel cargo bike thing, what a lot of companies want, what a lot of the what a lot of the operators want, creating something that removes that limitation and gets somebody who's used to driving a Ford Transit van or a Freightliner Sprinter to jump right in and get moving and doing deliveries in a smaller form factor. I think that's very much the answer here. The fact that we've had four-wheel cargo bikes banned or sorry, they aren't really banned as much as the definition of an e-bike rather says it can only have two or three wheels and not four across the country with exception right now in New York City. I think that's something that needs to change. And I imagine it did come from the automotive lobby many decades ago, but that's where the industry is going. If we ever want to see great change in this space, we need to absolutely embrace that these are basically mini 
light electric vehicles. They're, they're basically ultralight electric vehicles, uh, ULEVs, as, as they're referred to in some parts of the world. So I think that's very much how we need to how we need to be seeing them and be treated as if they are a vehicle on the road, especially from the commercial sense, because that's ultimately what the likes of these big logistics companies want. This needs to not only fit into their fleet, and it needs to also be just as able to be on the road and easy for their drivers to just switch right into. So that's a big part of that. And same thing with the smaller firms as, as well that struggle to get riders in the off season when they have a lot of deliveries to do around Christmas and the holidays. So it's it's a lot harder to train somebody on a three-wheel trike than it is on a than it is on a four-wheel bike. And even to add to that, you can carry more weight in, in a four-wheel platform, in a narrower, rather, four-wheel platform. Then in order to carry that same amount of weight, you'd need a wider three-wheel platform in order to make that work. So if we keep having narrow bike lanes like we do across most of our continent, the four-wheeler actually is much more of the answer than, than the three-wheeler if we want to make it safer for everybody on in those mobility lanes and the bike lanes. This episode is brought to you by Expedition Works, a full-service design cooperative based in Queens, New York. You might be interested in hiring them if you need to create a more holistic user experience or create new ways of collaborating and engaging community, or maybe you want to create a new digital transformation for your organization please check them out at expedition.works. And now back to the show. So I'm an advocate for rethinking our streetscape, rethinking how we might be able to get people around and freight around. And so I see the value of this. But for somebody who might be a little unsure, why is this important now? My friend and colleague, Sandra Rothbard, talked about uh, her whole thing is about how freight matters and how we're not talking about freight enough in our cities. And I think that is something that the public needs a lot more awareness around. Why? Because by 2030, the World Economic Forum predicts that there will be 30% more vehicles on the road. There will be 30% oh, more congestion. We're heading in this direction where this online e-commerce and all of our ordering and our home delivery is just taking over our cities. There's a great picture from a few years back from the New York Times that shows a FedEx driver in the middle of Manhattan and literally surrounded by boxes, the trucks fully surrounded by boxes all over the place. It's taking up half the sidewalk and the parking space next to him. Like it's, it's massive. And that is very much what we see everywhere around here. I live in a small uh, townhome complex and there are five delivery trucks or not more delivery trucks that show up here every single day. Should that all be consolidated into one or, or to a few or shift the mode so they're not a van, it's a bike? Just think about what that impact would be on the city. That's five or six vans, but multiply that by the amount of other service providers like your plumber and your electrician and your florist and the meat producer and the food services and Aramark. There's so many thousands of these vehicles out on the roads today. That if we could start thinking how to get out of what we're currently doing, there's so much we can benefit from. There's so much more. It improves quality of life. It improves air, air quality around us. The overall physical health of our people. There's a lot of great benefits. And, and the advantage, the, one of the reasons that really drove me to cargo bikes and cycle logistics are the triple bottom line benefits, are the true sustainability of such a mode getting our minds to change from what we're so used to, what we've grown up with, and our reliance on the car goods moving via cars and via vans. We're just so used to that, that I think for a lot of these businesses and for a lot of people, it's hard to imagine a different way. 
I still think we're very early on in the adoption curve here. We're very much an immature industry in North America. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's actually a great opportunity for us to collaborate together. This is a vehicle of the future, but there's definitely a long road ahead. And, and, and that's a lot of what inspires the, us moving forward with these conferences and trying to push for the right policies here, uh, where if we just get the right policies in place and place in cities like New York and cities like Montreal, we really have a huge opportunity for other cities to start following suit. I know it's not that simple, but it does in some ways set a precedent if it's if it's done right and demonstrates that it can be done. That's what we need. So where do you think this should happen? Is this like a New York, Manhattan thing? Is this a Toledo, Ohio thing? Columbus, Ohio thing? Where in the density spectrum should this be a play? Or is it an urban thing? Or is it something that can be part of a more unified freight delivery system? It's a very good question, and I, I've gotten that a lot over the years, is, well, doesn't this only just work in the high-dense areas? And, oh, look at Europe, how dense they are in, in these places, and they have such dense small cities and dense, uh, yeah. Well, the answer is that there's right now a company in rural UK called Cargodale that runs cargo bikes out of their central market, and they do deliveries for the town and the towns surrounding that town all over. I, I use that as their example because I think that is something that we as North Americans should be looking at and going, okay, if they can do it there, then we can do it in our small towns too. And a lot of what it takes is a market or a mini hub or a central distribution location. I mean, a lot of our even smaller cities and smaller towns, still many of them do have some form of main street, some sort of central area. And there are also businesses that are there in that central business district on that main street if we can think to, that maybe in the future we can pedestrianize those areas, maybe we don't want parking there. Maybe we want a big park there. I do see there's a huge opportunity for cargo bikes, but the key to making that happen in smaller, less dense areas is that hub. Is that hub, is that local market, is that local producer. That's that's the key to making this happen. There's also a guy in, in Stevens Point, Wisconsin, Trevor Rourke, who started his company called Curbwise right at the beginning of the pandemic. And he works with local producers, local farmers, and does all of his things on one cargo bike that he runs year round and does all these deliveries. He's, he's even delivering milk. Like it, it's really impressive what he's able to do. And I have never been to Stevens Point, Wisconsin, but from my understanding, it's a pretty small town. <laughs> so there are examples of using cargo bikes in these other areas. And I think we shouldn't just dismiss them as, oh, it's only the big cities. We shouldn't be so quick to dismiss that, oh, this is only the high-density areas. And the other thing is, on that, it can go very much the other way. I mean, skyscrapers, like 50, 80-story skyscrapers, they're like little cities in of themselves. You're still going to have a truck do that a lot of those deliveries, unless they have very few deliveries in a day. A company like a DHL or a FedEx or whatever is not going to go deliver to that skyscraper with a cargo bike and have to do four runs with a cargo bike to make that happen. They're going to find an electric truck if they need to be in a low, in a zero emission area zone and then do that delivery to that 80 story skyscraper. So there is a, there is a density breaking point also where it becomes realistically not feasible based on the volume to just do one big run to one sort. Is that feasible with two cargo bikes? Maybe, but obviously depends on the volume and the situation and, and, and density too. Even New York has a breaking point. I we're still bringing trucks in order to service these big, big buildings and having massive parking lots beneath them and parking minimums that are still very high. So all those things are, are not helping in, in shifting. 
parking in general, the amount of space that parking takes up in our cities in North America is insane. We talk about mini hubs and micro hubs and distribution centers built into our, our urban environment. That's the opportunity. How do we convert these existing parking structures into hubs where truck can pull in and bikes can go out or vans can come in and bikes can go out? Like we need much more of that. And we have the space. That's the nice thing. And if we're looking at it from a positive perspective, we have the space. It's just in the form of parking lots and surface parking and parking garages. Let's turn that into actual economic generating space. We need that. We Our economies would benefit from places like that. There's so many ways to decarbonize our logistics that just starts with basic consolidation. So if we're able to have these hubs in some way that consolidates the delivery to that neighborhood and that neighborhood parking structure now is a hub or part of it is now a hub, that's transformative. <laughs> Going back to your original question, what's the future of these downtown cores look like and these cities look like? It's taking these old parking lots and converting, uh, converting them into little distribution hubs and mobility centers where people can rent a cargo bike, rent a scooter, rent a micro-mobility vehicle, and businesses can operate them out of there safely and securely. To close out our time together, can you give us what the big takeaway is around cargo bike logistics? The big takeaway I want to leave you all with is that in order to make this thrive, we really ultimately need an ecosystem. And that ecosystem should be seen very similarly to that of the automotive ecosystem we've now created today. When you buy a car, you have options for financing, for leasing, you can rent a car, you have insurance options. If you're a fleet manager, you can do lots of customizations. There's a whole slew of companies that are out there to support things like that. You also have numerous service partners and service and maintenance capabilities and parts distribution all over the world. And you have the infrastructure in particular, you have roads, you have parking lots. So we need to look at that and go, well, what does that ecosystem look like for a cargo bike? Financing and insurance are a big issue. Service and maintenance right now are, are challenging issues, particularly for, for large fleets. The real estate to store these bikes to operate in the downtown cores, this is where hubs come into play and seeing more cities partner on getting multi-carrier hubs, similar to what Montreal has done with the Colibri project. I think it's a matter of looking at it from the ecosystem perspective. And that's trying to get policymakers as well as the public to understand that from the commercial side, this is hopefully a new form of transportation. The space is still so new that now is the time to really start working with the public sector to help get everything lined up so we could, so this can scale. Because that is the challenge right now is how would you scale this? If we really want to get people to get out of these vehicles, we need to find ways of making it as turnkey as possible as well as as easy to scale. The future is very bright for cargo bikes, but we need to start thinking about it as that ecosystem. And this is not just for businesses, it's, it's for everybody. Hi, I'm Sam Starr. I'm the co-founder of the North American Cargo Bike Conference and a cycle logistics and sustainable freight consultant. I am based in beautiful Vancouver, BC, and I'm excited to be here on this podcast. Okay, Sam, that was a great episode. I am actually really surprised how many times I'm talking about freight on this podcast. It is really not a place that I thought I would go, but it does seem like an area that is both rife for, I hate to use the word innovation, but rife for change. And it's an area that's just like Sandra Rothbard talked about in episode six, that is a place that not a lot of people think about, and it's a place where there can be some real state capacity gains. 
Just a reminder, any of the opinions you hear are our opinions only. They are not the opinions of our employers, past or present. I want to thank everyone for listening to Journey with Purpose. This was episode nine. Journey with Purpose is an experiment in storytelling. We publish a pamphlet and this podcast. Both of them you can take a look at at jwp.news. It's an experiment in how we can have a bit of an asynchronous conversation. So anytime you like, share, heart, plus one, it helps us move that conversation forward. Anytime you purchase a pamphlet, it both adds money to the system so that we can keep going, but it also helps us understand the value. So please go and do all that jwp.news. We hope that you are all well and we'll see you on the internets.